Okay, good morning, everybody. Um, thanks for being here. This is the last class of this class. Hey, hey. <laughs> there are other class options. Um, next week, uh, we're going to s- start the summer quarter, and it's gonna, there's going to be one class. Um, I think Brad Morrow and Dane Johnson are teaching a class on the Psalms in the auditorium. So that starts next week. As well as uh, family night starts next Wednesday, right? Yay. Oh, not this coming. Yeah. A week from this coming Wednesday. Right. Yeah, so we've been talking about the creation account of Genesis being about functions and purposes and not about really about the material creation. And one of the one of the purposes explicitly given to humanity is to rule over the animals, to take care of them. And um, to take out, basically to take on the role of God in the natural world. And when you get to Genesis 2, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Um, one of the things that Adam does is he actually names all the animals. And um, so, it, which back in the ancient times, that was a core piece of creation. And so it's, it's, it's essentially saying, by Adam naming the animals, he's saying... Humanity is now responsible for these things, and we we kind of there are problem and there are responsibility, and so humans still love to name things, and so uh, for this last thing it's, it's not so much a cool thing about science it's it's kind of an interesting thing about humanity, the um, so I came across some of my favorite group names for animals, and but most of these are kind of funny, so. A group of lemurs is called a conspiracy of lemurs. <laughs> and you have a parliament of owls, an ostentation of peacocks, and a group of sharks. Anybody have a guess? A shiver <laughs> of sharks. <laughs> oh, it gets better. <laughs> a flamboyance. Of, of uh, what are those? Flamingos, thank you. And you may know this one, a murder of crows. A barrel of monkeys, which I thought was pretty good. And a crash of rhinoceroses. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> okay, this last, last slide. Uh, yeah, this is your, probably your favorite slide. A prickle of porcupines. <laughs> An, inf- an intrusion of cockroaches, <laughs> for more than one reason. A cackle of hyenas. And possibly my favorite one, a vul- group of vultures, is called a committee. <laughs> so, this is for real. <laughs> Well, some, for some of these, there are alternate names, but it's more fun to do stuff like this than just say a flock of vultures. I mean, it, it's a committee of vultures. It's it's because it holds more weight, I think. But there are there are Wikipedia pages like listing hundreds of these. Like most of them are kind of not super, super exciting. Like herd is a, uh, often a group or whatever. Anyway, I thought that was kind of fun. So. Kind of, I wanted to use this class to kind of wrap up, what, like what we've talked about, 
kind of high level across the board. I'm not going to go through every single class period, of, of course, but kind of want to hit the high notes and talk about some interesting stuff at the end. So we started out uh, this class three months ago. seems like a lot longer for me for some reason. Um, talking about this battle between, uh, this perceived battle between science and God and how it's an idea we've all come across. Um, it's an idea that, um, that you either believe in, you can either believe in science or you can believe in what the Bible has to say or you can believe in God, but you can't do both. You have to pick one. And this idea is, is it bothers me so much because as I talked about, one of the reasons for wanting to teach this class is to dispel this myth that there, that there is a science versus God problem because we're losing a lot of kids. A lot of, a lot of people are leaving the church because they see that they have to make a choice. They have to either believe in God and follow Christ, or they have to, if they want to go into the sciences, they've got to give that up and go into the sciences. And as we'll talk about a little bit later, that one of the problems is that we, <clears throat> we have an interpretation of Genesis over here that says one thing, and then we, or that can be interpreted one way, one way. And a lot of people get into the hard sciences and, and, and empirical science and see other different things that fight against that. And they, I don't, I don't want people to have to choose. There shouldn't, there shouldn't be a choice. We'll get into the more details later. So we talked about how for centuries there was no conflict at all. The, 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 the those some of the best scientists we've ever had, like. Galileo, Kepler, Newton, they were very, very strong Christians. And the stuff that they did was they, they, were, they wrote about how they were excited to show the glory of God in, in the natural world. And so it wasn't until around the time of uh, Galileo this, this uh, problem started rearing its ugly head um, and the conflict started. So Galileo, as we talked about, was a Christian. Um, he used his fancy telescope that he invented to determine that the earth is actually moving through space, that it's not a fixed thing. And that flew in the face of the predominant interpretation of the Bible at the time, which was that the earth was stood still in space. It did not move. Verses like Psalm 93, it says, the world is established, it shall never be moved. So things like that, they read into the Bible and said, oh, the earth doesn't move, therefore Galileo is wrong because he's saying the earth moves. And so there's this huge battle and fight, um, and Galileo was put under house arrest for the rest of his life. I mean, now, now we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the earth moves because we've got a lot more ability to track that kind of stuff and figure it out, and so we all, we all believe that. Um, but the, and we've realized that the interpretation of the scriptures at the time was what was were at fault. Humanity had interpreted the scriptures the wrong way. And so the conflicts since that time have become much more varied and much more complex in a lot of ways. Um, but what they all come down to really, and this is what I want us to take away from this, is the sci- it's, it's not a science versus God debate. That's not the problem. It's really science, it's materialism versus theism. And uh, if you remember, we watched that really good video with John Lennox talking about the, the problems with pure materialism, this materialism being this idea that everything can be reduced down to physics and chemistry, that we're all just atoms that are random happenstance. There's no purpose to anything. There's no force behind it. 
And so that's what this problem really is. It's between the idea that there is only physical stuff versus God may be in, God is involved. Um, because when you get down to this problem, this is not a science problem. This is a metaphysical problem. It's a religious issue. It's not a science question at all. So scientists tend to want to, when they talk about sciencey things, we are at core beings with souls, which is a metaphysical issue. So we talk about a sciencey thing. We want to make a connection to the metaphysical, to the purpose of things. So scientists often make statements that are not scientific. They make statements of their own personal belief on things. And since the problem we, another problem we have is that someone like Stephen Hawking said that, um, that religion is a fairy tale, well, that, that's, just not, that's not a statement of science. It's a statement by a scientist, but not a statement of science. And so we talked about this idea of two books. Remember that, the concept about there's the book of, the, like God has given us two um, do two sources of revelation, essentially. There's, a, there's the book of nature, and there's the book of scripture. And both things can show us who God is and what he does and how he does it and why he does it. And so, and the Bible tells us that as well. Um, a couple scriptures kind of to, to that point. Romans one twenty says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. As well as Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. So the, the world around us, we need, I, I would like us to start seeing that as a source of revelation about who God is and what he does. Not just a source of interesting facts that you can show at the beginning of a class although that's a really good thing to do. So this idea of the two books, this is the, the chart that I showed, how God is both the author of nature and the author of scripture. And that at, because of that, there's no inherent conflict. The, the potential conflict that we have down here is from human interpretation of those two things. And that's science is the human interpretation of nature. And biblical interpretation, for lack of a better phrase, is the human interpretation of scripture. And so whenever we have a conflict, we need to not blame nature or blame the scripture. We need to look back at our interpretations of those things. Maybe we're wrong on one or both of them. And so when we see that conflict in our lives, when it pops up on the news or you know the Discovery Channel or whatever it is, and people start making metaphysical statements about nature, we need to slow down and go focus on God at the top because we know that he wouldn't have done things that don't make sense with each other. We need to figure out where's the actual conflict here. And what it comes down to is this this, uh, slide that I've shown lots of times, that God gave us both his word and his world and they do not disagree. Sometimes it takes a while to get to that core point about what's really going on, but at heart, I want us to see that they don't disagree. Because what's really happening is that the two books are answering different questions. Science is asking physical questions of what and how, 
And the religion and scriptures are metaphysical questions of who and why. And I remember this, this analogy of the, the tea kettle. If I say, why is the kettle boiling? You might say, well, you can describe all the thermodynamics and the heat transfer and all that stuff. But I might say, well, no, the kettle's boiling because I want some tea. So that's the purpose side of things. You have to have both to really understand the whole of the things that God has given us and what he's made and why he's made it. So they're just answering kind of different questions. And so because of this, I don't want us to be afraid of science. And I also don't want us to be dismissive of science. Um, because I think science is answering questions that I, that I think God put within us. He's made us very curious beings to figure out like what's going on in this world, how are things put together, how do they work. Um, the fact that you guys are in this class, I'm guessing that you're of the type that wants to know that kind of stuff. And um, it, so it's not just nerdy scientists. It's, it's everybody wants to know how the, how the world works. And so I don't want us to be afraid of that and afraid that there's a conflict. Because I've talked to a lot of folks in, in my life who are strong Christians and they, they're afraid of getting into a science-based field like in college or whatever because they're afraid it's going to ruin their faith. And I've actually heard of uh, ministers counseling some kids not to get into like biology because it's going to destroy your faith. And I, that's, that's not what we should be like. And we need more Christians in the sciences. So, and that's, that's one of the reasons I showed you guys all these cool sciencey things every, every beginning of every week is because um, all of these things were out there existing before scientists figured them out. And, but once they figured this stuff out and discovered these things, it, to me, it increases my wonder and awe in God's complexity and the, the things that he can do, the things that he can set up. And knowing that he's in charge of it all and that somehow all, that he somehow made all these things, it, it, it bolsters my faith. It helps, me, it helps my faith be stronger. Uh, so I think that we, I want us to look at, um, at science how at, at, in, the, in the way it, it can increase our faith, not scared away. So that was the first part, about the first third of the class sessions that we talked about that kind of stuff. So the core of this, mo- this modern battle that we've talked about and that we've all seen, most of it these days, it's not about the, the earth moving or not these days. Now it's mostly about Genesis 1. What do we do with Genesis 1? Um, so if, if, if Genesis 1, as it's been interpreted for a long time in the modern age anyway, it's been different throughout history, but if it's interpreted as a physical creation of material objects, how do we reconcile that stuff with modern scientific things that we hear? Like the age of the earth. If you, if you take this as a six-hour, 24 hours that happened 6,000 years ago, there's a lot in science that you have to throw away. Like glaciers that have 700,000 layers of ice in them from every year. Like, what do you do with that? And, and dinosaurs that are millions of years, what do you do with that kind of stuff? And so th- this has been the, the key center point for a lot of this debate and a lot of this strife throughout the last uh, few decades. 
So we, we took a, lot, a good hard, hard look at Genesis 1. What does it mean? Why is it there? What's God trying to teach us? What's the purpose of it? Um, and how does it all fit in? And there, we talked about how there are lots of different uh, interpretations of it. I think there always will be lots of interpretations of what Genesis 1 is really talking about. Um, but uh, some of the questions we asked, I, I showed this slide a lot, long time ago. We have lots of questions about Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, the, the creation accounts of the earth. And did we answer them all in this class? <laughs> not, not even close. Uh, a lot of these things I didn't... Uh, I was looking at this list last night and realizing that a lot of these lists, these questions are from Genesis 2, which I did not touch, really. Um, so, but what I'm hoping that this class has been able to do is give us some tools and a new framing of things to be able to answer a lot of these questions um, and to, to be able to address some of these problems that we've seen in the past or uh, concerns we've had. So we talked about uh, the functional ontological view of the interpretation of Genesis 1, basically. Once again, there are lots of interpretations of Genesis 1. This one could be off. I'm not saying you have to believe that this is the way to look at Genesis 1, but I think that it makes the most sense that of any, any version of interpretation that I've came, come across. Uh, and, and it answers, it, to me, it answers all of these questions in, in one way or the other. Um, so what we talked about is how that by studying ancient cultures and looking at the scripture itself, that this passage is not about material creation of the world. Um, to the ancient Israelites and the people at the time, existence would have meant really having a function and a purpose in an ordered system. That's what existing meant. Kind of like we think of a business now. It, it exists when it's doing business. It doesn't exist because the building is sitting there. It's not a physical thing. It's, it's more of a function thing. So if that's what existence means, then creation meant giving that function and purpose. Of course, there's strings throughout the entire, threads throughout the entire Bible that make it clear that God made everything, and I totally believe that God made all the physical stuff as well. This is not like something that just popped up. I think God made all the, all the things we see in the world, but I, I don't know how he made them, and I don't know when he made them, because I don't think the Bible is telling us what, when, that, when or how that happened. I think this is a story of something else, not that story. Because looking closely at the text itself, we can see that it has no information on material creation at all. And it's really concerned with the functions of the world and um, the functions in relation to humanity. And so we talked about how humans have function and purpose in relation to both God, we are, in his, we are made in his image, and relation to God's creation but to be its caretakers because we are in his image. And not just the, the creations. T- so the top one is, is much more, there's a lot of depth to that, having being made in God's image. It's not just that we are made in his image, whatever that means. It means that we are his representatives on the earth. And that plays out through his creation, as we talked about, like the environment, taking care of the environment, I think is something that Christians should be doing. But it also has to do with representing ourselves to other people who are not Christians. I mean, once, once again, Genesis 1 was not written to Christians, but I think this point stands. 
we are supposed to be God's representatives on this planet to others as well. And so what it comes down to is this, that the purpose of, the ch- of this chapter in the Bible is, is threefold. It's to give us our identity, establish our relationship to God, and define our relationship to his creation. The Bible really is, what we're seeing here is that the Bible considers it much more important to say that God made everything work rather than to be content that, to say that God made the physical stuff. Because if we think about it, and I've mentioned this before, well, I, I'll stop, try to stop saying that because it's a review, so of course I mentioned this before. But um, the purposes and the, the workings of things, even to us, are more important than the physical aspects of things. I mean, we, we take the eye, for example. The eye is a, very, is a very complex set of nerves and muscles and fibers, it's great to have an eye that's all set up and all the pieces and parts are there and, and they're, they're, they're there and not damaged or anything. But if they don't... The, the amazing part is not that the physical eye is there. The amazing part is that we can see with it. And that's what I think that we as, as believers in God need to focus on in this creation. It's not, just, it's not only amazing that God made it. I mean, it is. But it's also amazing that this stuff works together. That's the thing, part that blows my mind. And even atheists who look at science only are amazed with the fact, by the fact that this stuff works. The, the idea that this universe is so complex that the probability of this happening by accident is like practically zero. And that's because there are so many things working together, it's, it's unimaginable that this could just happen accidentally. So, I think because of all that, I think that this, in my opinion, this interpretation of Genesis 1, looking at it this way, I think is more important now than it ever has been. Because people have always, always desperately needed a purpose. I mean, that, that's what people are searching for. And we, we can see people in our society, in our world, casting about trying to find a purpose to life? What's the meaning of life? Um, and I think because as a people we're more concerned with the material stuff as existence goes, because we're more concerned, concerned with material, we tend to look to the material for purpose. I think that's one reason we have such the cons- consumerism in America is just out of hand because we, we're looking for purpose by buying a thing. We're looking for purpose by what science has to tell me about where I came from, like who I'm, whom I related to. That gives me purpose in some way, shape, or form. And what the Bible, the, that giving of purpose is throughout the entire Bible. But what we're seeing here is it, it starts with that. It starts with God saying, I set up creation to work for you. I love you that much. And you have a purpose on this planet in, in multiple ways, and you have a job to do on this planet. That's, that's a kind of message that I think that really needs to come home to people in, in, in our day and time now. Because they're never going to find purpose and meaning through just pure science. It's just, it's just not there. True purpose can only come from God. And so, the whole, so knowing that it started that way is really 
I think the, the most important thing we can take away from this whole study. Okay. Any questions or comments before I go on? That's kind of the review. Now we're going to talk about what, now what do we do with that? Great, we got this information. What, what do we do? Yeah. There's a lot more to it. We can't forget, I think, that the uh, being made in the image of God includes the eternal component. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, the eternal component to being made in the image of God is huge. And I, I don't want to discount that at all. But um, it, looking, I, I think the, the, the study of what the image being made in the image of God is, is so big. I'm just talking about what, the, what, what it says about that in Genesis 1. And the, the, per, the jobs that God gives Adam in Genesis 1 is to tend the garden and to rule over the, the animals and the fish of the air and the birds of the sea the other way around, it should be air. <laughs> but that's that's the job we have in, in Genesis one, and th- that that idea is, of course, throughout all of Scripture. Yeah. Oh, and the other thing I was going to say is, I've wondered at several times in my life, what if I did know exactly how everything was done? How would that change? Me? that change my view of God. Um, we probably all have to think about that because that he did it and he did it for us and for our benefit is the, is the most important thing. Yeah, when it, it may sound flippant, but I think when it comes down to how the world was made and how this stuff came into being, I don't really care. I mean, I, I care. But it's not. It doesn't matter at the, at the heart of things. No, but there are a lot of people who it, it seems to be everything to them, and I'm not sure why. But it, I think it's most mostly scientists, people who are bothered, <coughs> really get bothered when they can't figure out something. Well, I think the reason people are so concerned with, yeah, <laughs> he, he's really he's a strong Christian, but it really bothers him that he can't figure out something. Well, there's a thousand reasons why that you'd want to know something, but. I think a lot of the reason it comes down to the material uh, focus of, of our world mostly is we want to figure out how stuff works and, and why, why and why it's there. Yeah. That did give us a curiosity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To rule over, yeah. and therefore, when you rule over something, you kind of want to know about it. That's so a good point. Curiosity. Yeah, curiosity is great, and, and so I, I I do care. But, right, what, what I'm getting at is, and I think you guys get where I'm coming from, it's, it's not the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is that God did it, he did it for us, and we have a job to do. That's what it, that's coming down to. And I think that that's, that's what Genesis 1 teaches us. However he did it, we can debate that for a long time. And, and when he did it, we can debate that as well. Um, and you, you, can, you can still... Come, come to this, like, you can com- completely agree with everything I'm saying about this interpretation of Genesis 1 and still think that the earth's 6,000 years old. That, I, it doesn't bother me. Um, but what, what I'm going to, what I want us to see is that I don't want that to become, I don't want us to 
set the Bible up in such a way that it fights against science for the sake of fighting against science. Because what I think, what, I, what I've come to believe anyway, is that, like I've said multiple times, this is a story about a, an aspect of God's setting the world up, but it's not the story of the physical creation of the world. So if we don't have, a, if the Bible doesn't give us a model of the mechanisms of creating the world, we're, we're allowed to go and check out what science has to say. His one book doesn't say, it doesn't have an opinion on the matter, so let's look at the book of, the na- of nature and do our best to figure out what, what does that book have to say about how the world came to be, because we still kind of want to know. So when you get into questions of the Big Bang, revolution, things like that, I don't really care what you, th- what you believe about that. You're welcome to believe that stuff. And that's actually the, ne- the next topic that we're going to talk about for just a few minutes is what do we, what do, what do, we do with evolution? What, what is the Christian uh, opposition to the concept of evolution? There's more than one probably. What, what are the oppositions? That if evolution happened, then God didn't have anything to do with it. It just happened as an accident. Right. Maybe it takes away the specialness of humanity. Okay, takes away the specialness of humanity. If you believe that man has a soul, evolution doesn't explain that. Right. So, part, yeah. So there's a lot of things that can explain evolution, like love, or your conscience, or how you know what we're doing something that... You know, different things that it can explain that are just different. Yeah, if you're looking... So all of us have been kind of using the, the term evolution to mean godless evolution. A metaf- it's a, we're all you, uh, subtly making a metaphysical statement about the thing that, that we call evolution. So the question is, what do we mean by evolution? And so the typical neo-Darwinist view of what evolution is, is a thing that has no purpose and no meaning at all. I think that, to me, that's the biggest problem that I've always had with this concept. Not, not with the science of it, not with, the, not with a lot of the other aspects of it, really. It comes, my problem with evolution has always been, if that, then we are an accident. We have no special purpose. We have no meaning. Um, where did the love come from? Where, where, you know, all this stuff. And this goes back to the fact that what I was talking about earlier today with science and metaphysics often get bound up together because scientists want to include belief in what they're saying and and religious belief in some uh, shape or form. Um, So the, the problem with evolution is not one of science. To some people it is, and that's fine. I think everybody has opinions about evolution science wise. There's a lot of stuff that the evolution of the world cannot answer still. But to me, it's more of a argument of purpose and meaning. And so purpose not being the realm of science, if you're saying that evolution is godless and, and meaningless, that's not a statement of science. That, that, is scien- that is scientism. That is evolutionism. It's not talking about an evolution. Because um, the realm of purpose is who and why, like we talked about, and unfortunately, uh, scientists go outside of that. 
So it's not science of evolution that, that the, the science of evolution that the Bible has a problem with. Because if the Bible's not saying how the world, how animals were, for example, were made, or the universe was made, we're talking about the Big Bang could be tossed in this, this area of evolution. If it's not saying how that stuff was made, and we're willing to, we're free to, which I think we are, we're free to look at science to see what science has to tell us about this stuff. The problem is not evolution. The problem is with the philosophy of materialism that's bundled up with evolution most of the time. And so I think that we need to um, look at evolution as a mechanism independent of purpose. Because having no other source of information about how the world was made physically, I think God gave us the world and said, see what you can figure out. Have fun with it. And here's this curiosity to drive you mad. And so I think that the Bible has no opinion of, on it. And does, does this kind of a thing, does it take away the power of God? In some ways, I think that if, thinking, if, you, if you want to think about evolution for, as a, something that God put together and set up, I mean, any, any number of ways that he could have done it. He could have, I mean, think about the insane intelligence and, and a, a amazing power that it would take to start out with a singularity at the beginning of time and say, Big Bang, and let it go, and, and now we're here talking in Fort Collins, Colorado. Maybe he had that all planned out from the beginning. Maybe he's involved along, all along the way. Whatever your concept of it, of it is, I think that we have a lot of examples from science that this seems to be making sense about how stuff came to be and that we don't have something in the Bible where we're free to think of it this way if we want to. You don't have to. I'm not, saying, I'm not like saying Bible says evolution. The Bible has no opinion on evolution, I don't think. And so if we, if we just look at this as a mechanism that God could have, could have used if he wanted to, I think that there's a lot less battle and, and fight in, in this, on this subject. Yeah. Uh, I think it's interesting. C.S. Lewis didn't seem to have a problem with it. Um, and maybe just didn't even know that there was a problem. And, and treats it fantastically in, in uh, Paralandria. Yeah. Right. Oh, I forgot about that, yeah. You know, it's an interesting idea of what can happen when your maybe foundation is a little bit more secure and you don't have to spend so much time defending yourself from science and instead you can kind of you know, be curious. Right. I mean, could God have made it in, a, in six days in a week? Sure. He maybe did. I don't know. Could he have made it in an instant with one thought? Sure. I mean, he didn't speak. He doesn't have a mouth. He's not a, a human. So any of these things are equally pl- uh, plausible. I just want to, uh, the reason I brought this up is not, once again, not to say evolution is the way to go. But I think that looking at the, the, book of, the book of nature that he's given us, this seems to be the best explanation for how a lot of stuff happened. And then you get, of course, this, this opens up another whole can of new worms. Like, okay, then what, is, what about Adam and Eve? Were they actual people? Were they groups of people? Um, were they just the first hominids who were, received a soul? I, 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 <laughs> I don't know. What, what I'm, I'm just talking about, what, like looking at it from a scientific perspective, and is I think it's, it's an interesting way to look at things, and I think that the, that the world gives us a lot of examples of that kind of stuff. Well, I kind of think that 
Huh? I mean, they actually had children that we have names of and children after that. Sure. I, I tend to think Adam and, Adam and Eve were actual people that, ha that happened at some point. They were given a special job by God, and they were the first ones. Because it goes, one of the questions we had on that huge list was, where did Cain's wife come from? Well, it wasn't his sister. I'm pretty sure of that. Because there were, he leaves and there are cities elsewhere. So there's lots of stuff going on the, on the earth for a long time before Cain came along. So there's lots of things that we need to, that we, that, uh, that, like I said, answers more que asks more <laughs> questions than it answers. But, yeah. Um, what helps me right now just thinking about that is now that I have children and as I've, they've grown up, you know, I've given them information maybe when they ask, but just, just as much as they were able to process it. And their brains, because even if I gave them everything, there was no way they could yet understand it. And even to this day, sometimes they interpret things they see, and we know it's a misinterpretation. Sure. Because they don't have all the information, but we still understand what they mean. I can't help but see that God, for Him, the relationship is more important in meeting us where we are. I think it's what I see sometimes in science, I, what I think is fascinating is the more we know, the less we know. <laughs> because yeah. like, oh, wait, what does that have to do? It, it's easy to think, oh, we know so much now, so we must be so much more advanced. <laughs> Whereas I think that's a little bit of pride in humanity. We think we've got it all together, but we're probably not that different. I've been studying history with my children, and I just think of the fact that they had flushing toilets and sumer, <laughs> you know, back in Abraham. And I'm like, who do we think we are? Why do we think we're so much better? And we still can't figure out how the pyramids were made, really. Yes, we still don't even know how the pyramids were made. But anyway, I just think also of my children, how I'm able to relate to them, even if I know a lot more than they know right now. And that's not even a fault of theirs. It's just how they're having to grow and process. And then I can't, I can't help but thinking that God knew that about us. We're not God. Our brains probably would explode if we could contain everything right. that God knows and is. Yeah, and to kind of, kind of close this out, I, the only reason I bring this up once again, I want us to stop looking at evolution as a religious issue. I don't think it's a religious problem at all. It's not a, it's not a religious problem or a good, good or bad thing. It's just not a religious thing at all. It's not a metaphysical. It's a physical mechanism of how things may have may or may not have come together. What, what we really need to focus on is this idea that the world that we see and the scripture that we have are all part of the same message from God. That he loves us, he made this world for us to, to do things in, and he's given us purpose and meaning, and I think our ultimate purpose is that image of him uh, being made in his image, so we can eventually... Like the New Testament talks about how we've lost that image when we, when we sin and we are separated from him. We've lost that ability to represent him on the earth. And so our ultimate purpose is to regain that image through Christ and to share that with the world and have a relationship with God. That's what this all comes down to. And I think that it's amazing that the, the Bible starts that way and it's throughout the entire thing and it ends that way. This, like... The, the analogy of an, a marriage with a, of the church as the bride of Christ in, in Revelation. It's throughout the entire scripture, I think it's a, it's a beautiful 
story the whole way through. And I, I want to make sure that we do our best as, as representatives of God on the earth to not fight with people who interpret his, his nature and think that, think that they're wrong just because whatever. It's kind of amazing that God is using people who don't believe in him at all to show his glory. So many scientists are atheists, but they're showing us aspects of his glory all the time and how amazing the things that he's done. I think that's, that's, that blows my mind. Any other final thoughts or anything before we close out? Maybe the scientists who interject their opinions are doing that to give science meaning. Right, I think they're wanting to give science meaning and I think they're missing the point. Yeah. Yeah. I like this diagram, thank you for the word. You know, if God is the author of nature and scripture, there's, there is no conflict. And so what that does for me, if there's no conflict, then my interpretation of nature and scripture is, is the problem. Potentially, if there right. is conflict, it's from my interpretation. And so, you know, God being the author, it, it kind of brings those back together. And so it's, it's my interpretation that, that could be adjusted to make that all fit, so to speak. So. Right, and I think we need to continue to pray and, and strive and search for the truth, whatever that truth is. Um, I think God has given it to us in multiple ways and multiple sources. So keep searching for that. Bouncing ideas off each other like this class um, and, and conversations we have with our kids and grandkids and whatever. Um, just looking for God's truth to continue our purpose on this life, on this earth, I mean. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you.